It's time for a wild conversation with the Greater Vancouver Zoo. Here's Jess. Welcome back to a wild conversation with Manita Prasad, zoologist at the Greater Vancouver Zoo. I am so excited that we're doing this again. How are you? I'm doing well, Jess, and I'm excited we're doing this again, too. Uh, What's new? What's going on there? Well, we recently introduced a new red panda to our resident male red panda. Oh, Yeah, her name is Sakura. She arrived from the Calgary Zoo, uh, and it was through our species survival plan that we received the recommendation to receive her. Uh, So when we did the introductions this year, we were a little late for any breeding behavior. Mm. So uh, hopefully, maybe next year, we see some little offspring. They must be incredibly cute little baby red pandas. Oh, my gosh. They're adorable. They grow up really fast, so they don't look stay in the baby phase for very long, but they're adorable. So do they get along, these two? Like, did you just have to kind of introduce them slowly, or can you just, you know, yeah. right off the bat? So it was a process that took a few weeks. Um, yeah, so we did introduce them slowly, but they are getting along famously and really enjoying each other's company. What is the name of the new one? She is Sakura. Sakura, and the other one was Arun. Arun. Yes. Oh, I got it right. I remember. Yes. <laughs> oh, that is exciting. That's really exciting. Uh, so we're going to talk all about wetland today, and wetland's pretty important. What is a wetland? Let's just dive right into it. Okay. So uh, a very simple description of wetlands are areas that are um, where water covers the soil. So water is present at the surface or near the surface for varying periods of time during the year. And the saturation, which is the hydrology, determines how the soil develops and influences what types of plants and animal communities utilize these wetlands. Okay. Now, are there different types of wetlands? There are. So wetlands can be broken down into four main categories, and I can just run through the four main categories for you right now. Yeah, sure. So the first one is marshes, and they are wetlands that are continually saturated uh, with water. So throughout the year, they are wet. And they are characterized by soft-stemmed vegetation, like the cattail. And I'm sure you know what a cattail is. Is it that thing that kind of looks like a corn dog? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I always call them corn dogs. Like if I'm walking through, uh, you know, a, a marsh or something like that or a bog, I always see them. And ever since we were a kid, we called them uh, um, um, uh, corn dogs. <laughs> right. Yeah, they were actually one of my favorite plants from when I was a child. <laughs> now, you can't eat them or anything like that. No, no, you can't. <laughs> but they're important for a marsh ecosystem. And what do they do for the ecosystem? So it's basically the composition of the soil um, dictates what grows. So based on what grows there, it influences the animals that utilize the space. So there are many different kinds of marshes, uh-huh. ranging prairie potholes to tidal marshes. They can be on the coast. They can be inland. It can be freshwater or salt water. Um, and it's just basically very nutrient-rich and support and abundance of plant and animal life. Right. Now, we have a couple of them around here, do we not? Yeah, we do. We actually have a few different types of wetlands around the lower mainland. Uh, so we're really lucky in that way. Uh, the next uh, category for 
wetlands would be swamps. And I know we have tons of swamps around uh, wetlands too. Uh, sorry, around BC. Mm-hmm. Um, but wetlands are dominated by woody plants. So a little bit different. You don't often see cattails in swamps, but you see um, plants like skunk cabbage. Yes. Yeah, and I- skunk cabbage. <laughs> Not my favorite thing in the world because I'll be walking the dog around like, you know, Aldergrove Regional Park or um, Campbell Valley Park or something like that. And you can just smell the pungent uh, skunk cabbage. Now, why yeah. it, why does it have that smell? It's the flower. So okay. when it flowers, that's the fragrance of the flower. <laughs> you would think that a flower would smell a little bit better than a skunk, but... Well, but you also have to think about where it's growing, right? Right. So uh, the plants help filter out all the toxins and the chemicals. So that could be part of the reason why that influences its fragrance. Oh, and so is it typically only found in marshes and kind of like swamps? Yeah, it definitely is. It, It needs quite a bit of water. Now, do any animals like to eat the skunk cabbage or is it just kind of there to filter? Yeah, not that I'm aware of. I'm not even sure it's an edible plant. I haven't heard of people eating it, but yeah, I'm not aware of anything that eats it. (laughs) Don't go out and try it. Are there any other kinds of plants or wildlife that are, you know, really important to these wetlands? Yeah, so swamps have really highly organic soils that form a thick, black, nutrient-rich environment. And swamps can be divided into two major classes depending on the type of vegetation present. So you can have shrub swamps or you can have forested swamps. So a lot of people don't normally associate forests with a swamp type environment, but it does occur. Wow, that's so interesting. Yeah, because sometimes, you know, you'll go out to a back property or something like that, you know, in Alder Grove or, or wherever in the valley, and there will be a swamp, you know, in the middle of the forest. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, what kind of animals love the wetlands? Like when you're, you know, going for a walk or something like that, what what typically will we see? Uh, wetlands are utilized by a wide variety of, of species. So birds, uh, amphibians, reptiles, insects, fish, uh, and mammals as well. So it's just so incredibly diverse and so useful to, to a lot of different species. And frogs. I know you're a big fan of frogs, and yes. you would typically see, I, I bet, a wide variety of them there. Yep. Oh, for sure. And, and salamanders. We can't forget about salamanders. Oh, yes, and salamanders, <laughs> too. Now, there's always an occasion where a salamander, you'll find them in your house or in your basement. Is that because of the moisture, and they are kind of attracted to that? I uh, Usually, it's... Uh, when things are starting to cool down a little bit, they'll uh, they'll come find some place to tuck in and sleep for the winter. But also, like our weather this year, we kind of had a little bit of warm, and then it got cool again, right? Right. right. So wake up when it gets warm, and then it gets cool. So they look for a place to hide again. Is there? Do they have any benefits to anything salamanders? Mm-hmm. Like, are they good for the environment or wetlands? Well, amphibians in general are a really good food source for a lot of animals out there. Oh, okay. What what yeah. what feasts on a salamander? So things like snakes, uh, birds, even fish would will feed on them. So, oh gosh, you know, yeah, they're just kind of I don't know. You're a fan of salamanders. I am. Any type of amphibian, I'm a big fan. <laughs> right. Now we covered why wetlands are important, right? Uh, not yet. Oh, okay. So why are they important 
uh, to the surrounding areas? Okay, so in the past, wetlands were often seen as wasted land. Okay. You couldn't build on marshes and you couldn't plant crops in swamps. So many were drained or filled to facilitate human activities, but they play a valuable role in the ecosystem. So they act um, like giant sponges. So they store water from snow and rainfall, and when things get dry, they let water out. So they really are great for helping to prevent drought. Oh, wow. Now, what about Burns Bog? Is that a wetland, would you say? That is a type of wetland and probably one that is most highly favored by amphibians. Yeah, that's what I've heard. I remember doing field trips there, but that one you would say is pretty important to the lower mainland here. Yes, oh, definitely for sure. And bogs are very distinctive types of wetlands um, because they're characterized by spongy peat deposits. Uh, they have acidic waters and a floor that's covered by a thick carpet of moss. So the animals that um, live in bogs really have adapted to a lifestyle of low nutrients um, and acidic waters. Oh, okay. Is it kind of like stagnant water or what does the water, you know, source come from? Uh, From uh, precipitation mostly. Oh, okay. Yeah. So just the rain kind of gathers in the sponge basically. Yeah. And then that sponge is good for the rest of the planet. Pretty much. Uh, peat and moss tend to hold in a lot of moisture. Mm, right. And you can find moss and peat even in your backyard. Yes, you can. So it's a good thing to have that then. It is a good thing. I'm actually trying to convert my front yard into a moss yard so I don't have to mow the lawn anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you're, it's like two, two birds, one stone because then you're, you know, doing something good for the, for the planet and then you don't have to mow the lawn in the, in the long run. <laughs> Exactly. This is a wild conversation with zoologist Minita Prasad from the Greater Vancouver Zoo. And we will be back with part two more on wetlands. Let your curiosity come alive at the Greater Vancouver Zoo. Explore the wonderful world of animals and meet everyone's favorite red panda Arun and his new mate Sakura. Experience the magic and become a kid again at the Greater Vancouver Zoo. Visit gvzoo.com. Now back to a wild conversation. Here's Jess. We are back with part two of a wild conversation with Manita Prasad, zoologist at the Greater Vancouver Zoo. And this week we're talking all about wetlands and how important they are. What is the status on wetlands specifically here in Canada? Well, wetlands cover about 13% of Canada. So just to kind of give you a little bit of perspective of that, let's bring it home to BC. So in BC, wetlands make up approximately 5% of the province, which equals 13 million acres. Wow. Just here in BC alone. Just here in BC alone. I don't know about you, but I cannot wrap my mind around this number. Like, how can you visually imagine what 13 million acres looks like i i know that the zoo is 120 acres (laughs) and i think the zoo is large so i can't even fathom how much of bc is actually covered in wetlands so where are they typically found in bc like i know we covered we have some even around here and you know burns bog and that kind of thing but is there a specific place in bc where the majority of this percentage is found 
Well, we're lucky because we live in the Northern Hemisphere and uh, wetlands, particularly things like bogs and fens, are generally associated with low temperatures and short growing seasons. So that's the, like the Northern Hemisphere is the perfect environment for wetlands. So I think it's, it's pretty much covering the entire span of the province. We just see it in, you know, um, the different categories. So some are marshes, some are swamps. I feel like we do have a lot of, of bogs and fens around as well. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're really lucky um, where we live. Uh, the Fraser River Delta, for example, right. is a really major um, wetland in BC. But unfortunately, already 80% of it has been converted to other land uses. Oh, so what other land uses would be the, would be an example? Um, farming, uh, lands that are, are filled uh, for housing, um, and then things like uh, the industry, like uh, industrial businesses, that right. sort of thing. Can you, you can't build on a marsh or a, a wetland, can you? You can, but the land has to be drained. So mm-hmm. you have to drain it of all the water, and then you have to fill it. So you build on top of it to make it stable, and then build up on that. So you really are destroying this huge ecosystem. Oh, geez. And it's just such a shame, you know. You're always seeing all these different condos and developments pop up, and, you know, typically they want them to be close enough to the water, and so they're, you know, damaging these wetlands. Sure. And people don't often think about, like when you purchase a house, you don't think about what that land looked like prior to your house being there and what kind of animals and plant community were there previously. Oh, I know. It just, you know, it hurts my heart to think about, you know, all the frogs and all the, those kind of species and where they're going to go. <laughs> you know, you're having yeah. a house built on top of your, your home, essentially. Exactly. And and that's the, one of the main concerns and why amphibians are, are so endangered, because where are they going to go? They don't have anywhere else to go. They are adapted to a very unique habitat. So once you take that away from them, you know, you're, you're destroying a huge population. Yeah, exactly. Now, are wetlands impacted by climate change? I would imagine, yes, they are. Yeah, they are. So many wetlands, especially coastal ones, are unstable to start with um, and frequently changed by erosion, flooding, or salt water. So water supply is, is the main concern here. So if we're having hotter, drier weather, it leads to increased water use, which could lead to a reduced water supply for the wetlands. And a lower volume of water for the wetlands would increase concentration of a pollutants that tend to settle. Uh, so things like agricultural chemicals, salts, and atmospheric pollutants. Can just seep into these wetlands. Yeah, exactly. And wetlands actually play an important role in, in filtering uh, sediment and toxins out of our lakes, rivers, and streams. So plants and animals living in a marsh help break down the sewage and chemicals and leaving clean soil and water behind. So we really wouldn't have fresh drinking water if it wasn't for wetlands. Right. Now, if you know, when this pollution and stuff is getting pumped kind of into the wetland, is the wetland having to work like double duty just to filter out all that, you know, all that uh, disgusting stuff? 
I don't think they, they kick into high gear or anything. <laughs> it, it, it would just take longer for the plants to, to, to filter these chemicals out. And the thing with uh, the bogs and fens is just everything kind of settles to the bottom. So it's still in there in the sediment, and it just doubles the time that it takes for the plants and animals to filter all this waste material out of the environment. Yeah, exactly. Now, what can we do to help support this important ecosystem? Arm yourself with knowledge. The first step to conserving wetlands is to understand why they're important. So for people listening to a wild conversation, you're already making up the first steps in in arming yourself with knowledge to help save wetlands. Manita is here with the knowledge for you. (laughs) (laughs) Now, are there different um, organizations within the community, let's say, that uh, can help people, you know, get more knowledge or even get out there and do their part to help save these ecosystems? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I always recommend people to support organizations that support any type of species conservation. So supporting your local zoos and aquariums is very important, but there are also a lot of nonprofit organizations um, that Uh, work to uh, saving our local communities and preserving local wildlife and wild spaces. Oh, that's so great. Now, do you guys do this kind of thing at the zoo? Yeah, so we do have a salmon river that runs through the zoo. Mm -hmm. And um, as part of our conservation initiatives, we work on the salmon salmon river restoration uh, project which basically we've uh, worked on removing invasive species that grow along the Salmon River right. and replace it with native species that are more beneficial to the, the life that utilizes that river. And if people come down to visit you at the zoo, they can learn all about that. Exactly. I remember, I think it might have been in elementary school, but we did the salmon program where we would have uh, this gigantic tank of salmon eggs. I, I think it was salmon. And then we would kind of watch them hatch and learn all about the ecosystem. And then we would go on a field trip and release them back out. I think it was actually at Campbell Valley Park or something like that. And we would release them back into the water system. Yeah, and that's fantastic. I think another important thing um, is to, like, connect with nature. And that's a great example of students connecting with nature. And, I mean, just when you are out there hiking, camping, or visiting a lake, think about your impact. Um, Are you following the rules? Are you respecting wildlife and wild spaces? I, I think it's just something that you always need to keep in the back of your mind. Totally, especially if you're camping and you know there's the tendency to go and have a, a shower in the lake or something like that, and you're bringing that shampoo or sunscreen or whatever's on your body into that water system, and it's just damaging. Yeah, that's a really good point, Jess. Yeah. And nowadays, you know, everyone is so environmentally conscious. So there are a lot of really good um, natural and organic products out there on, in the market. Actually, when I went to uh, Mexico last year, we were around a reef. I think we were snorkeling. And on this tour, they gave you this specific sunscreen to use because they didn't want it to damage the reefs where we were going to be snorkeling. That's fantastic. That's really fantastic. So I guess it's just little things like that that you can really be more conscious of. Yes, exactly. Oh, well, that is just great. Well, is there anything else that we need to talk about regarding wetlands? I think it's just really important to share your knowledge, uh, you know, and, and wetlands are not wastelands. So we need mm-hmm. to 
break down the the stigma of what uh, wetlands were perceived as historically. Um, I will also uh, point out that there is a really great app called iNaturalist. Okay. It's really important um, for uh, people who are working in conservation um, to know the biodiversity of local areas. So this app is a really great app um, to survey and report biodiversity. And even for things like, you know, if you see this beautiful plant or you see an animal and you're unsure of what it is, you can post it to the iNaturalist app and they will help uh, identify it for you. So not only are you helping science, but you are increasing your knowledge on the natural environment. Oh, that's kind of cool. So it's kind of like, you know, Shazam when you're trying to figure out what kind of song it is on the radio. And or yes. now this, you can just take a picture of the plant or the animal and upload it and then someone will, will help you out. Yeah, exactly. Oh, what a great tool. So if there's one thing that we've learned today, it's wetlands are not wastelands. Wetlands are not wastelands. Correct. <laughs> Uh, thank you so much, Manita. It's always a pleasure. I'm so excited that we are back. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure talking to you, Jeff. Join us again next week for another wild conversation with the Greater Vancouver Zoo.